Big, big thanks to FreshBooks, the super easy to use cloud accounting software. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did you hear about us section. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 70 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Here's Sam Marks. <laughs> oh my God, is that strong? <laughs> it's like gas, Johnny. Woo! So Sam just popped open a bottle of single malt whiskey sitting in Hong Kong. So actually, this whiskey was given to you to you and I as a gift from one of our, our members slash fans slash listeners, Chen, uh, in Hong Kong. And I didn't realize that this is like one of the world's best bottle of whiskeys. Nice. Uh, thanks, Chen. Uh, sorry, I'm all the way in Eastern Europe and I can't enjoy this. Actually, I guess I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, virtually, along with everyone else. But you've you've heard of this whiskey, right, Johnny? Yeah. So if you guys aren't familiar, a few years ago, watch okay. So for let's say the last ten or twenty years, Scotland would always win the world's best whiskey awards. Just you know, you think about Scotch and the best whiskey, and then maybe five years ago, Japan won one year, and everyone went crazy thinking, "Wow, you know, how did how did they do that?" And went back to to Scotland, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Kavalan comes out with and wins the world's best award, and people were like, "Where the heck is this from?" And it's a it's a small distillery in Taiwan. Yeah, Kavalan. So I just got that straight. It's in a uh, sherry cask. It's strong, sixty percent alcohol, but mm, it is good. So shout out to Chen. Thanks a lot. And it's great now, Johnny. Like everywhere that I'm traveling, I'm sure it's the same with you. Getting shout outs from listeners, meeting up, meeting super interesting people all over the world. Last week in Thailand, we had a, a bunch of the, the excellent cast of The Walking Dead meet up. iLab listeners and fans chatted with them about all the stuff they're doing. Super cool. And now in Hong Kong, met three different people that um, are listening to the podcast. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I haven't met anybody yet. So if you guys are here in Europe, let me know where you are if you're in the same city because I would love to meet up for a drink. Uh, well, maybe we should do a, a Ukrainian episode. <laughs> we'll try to translate it and see if see if we get a little bit of a following. Well, you know what? The the banks here pay 20% interest. So <laughs> I think that's all they Boom. need to do. <laughs> so, man, this is going to be an exciting episode. And I guess the way to crack it off is I have a question for you, Johnny. Yes. What is your question? Have you ever made a wager on sports before? No, I have not actually. And to be honest, when I first saw that this episode was going to be about sports betting, I wasn't very excited because you know, I, that's just not me. First off, I'm not a gambler, never liked gambling, and I don't watch baseball, basketball, or any of these, you know, or football. And this is what they bet on. So I thought, okay, this is going to be a boring episode. But the more I looked into what he actually does, He's not betting. He's not gambling. He is basically playing the house. He's basically, you know, betting against the odds and the spread. So he's not picking one team to win. He's picking a team to either win or lose on a spread. And I, I'm sure he'll get more into exactly how he does it. But I have a feeling that this is going to be interesting because it's not correlated with stocks or real estate. And I'm always interested in investments that have nothing to do with those two. And I'm also interested in, you know, just alternative investment classes. So, so I'm excited for this. 
So sports betting, I don't know the exact figure, but it is massive, massive market. Uh, we just got over the the Mayweather McGregor fight, so this is pretty good timing, and this is really exciting to me because it's yet another investment class that now we're getting access to. Nevada just passed some laws, the state of Nevada, to basically enable this in a fund fashion. So it's actually a fund instead of uh, instead of going in and, and making your own personal bets, which you can do. You're basically tagging along with Chris Conley, who is one of Vegas's most touted. I don't even know who call it traders or which we'll call it betters or gamblers, betters, gamblers, traders. So yeah, I think it's I think it's it's going to be massively interesting to a lot of people. I know a lot of people bet on sports, whether just for fun or actually to try to make money. And this is just kind of a, an evolution of, um, of of modern age investing, along with you know an ancient type of wagering, which is sports betting. I like it, and I'm gonna have some thoughts on betting, not on the you know the ball sports, but. I'm actually a big fan of betting on MMA in certain situations because that's the sport that I watch. And I think right now it's still kind of in its infancy. And there's a lot of people who bet on their home team or they, you know, they bet on just somebody that, that they really like in the media that's hyped up, even though the, the actual numbers don't make sense. So I'd be, I'd be interested in kind of seeing if that relates to uh, the way he bets with baseball, basketball, and, and football as well. So stay tuned to the end of the episode so we can talk about what we personally would bet in and if we're going to bet in this. Absolutely. So guys, I hope you're looking forward to this. Mark Cuban's been checking this out. A lot of publicity with these new, new legislation passed in Nevada. I got a ton of questions. I'm excited to get Chris on. Let's do it. Here's Chris. Hey bosses, if you are self-employed like we are, and especially if you hate dealing with numbers, invoices, and reminders, you need to check out FreshBooks. They made my life so much easier by letting me set up reoccurring expenses and invoices that I can set up once and just forget about. You can set up automated late payment reminders as well. So next time somebody who owes you money doesn't pay, they automatically get a message so you don't have to chase them down or, worst off, forget to get paid. Seriously, if you're a small business owner or a freelancer, check out the service. It's super easy to use and it's free for the first month. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did you hear about us section. Everyone, welcome back. Chris, welcome to the show, man. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sam. Absolutely. Well, you know, this is going to be fun. So when as I started looking into this and researching for the episode to have you on, man, I've become so fascinated with this new category of investment, not only because I think it's interesting, but also because it just goes to show yet another passive investment class emerging that fundamentally was not available to people before at this level ever in history. That, yeah, you're 100% right. It, it's really new. People have been doing it kind of on their own. There's uh, been professional sports bettors, uh throughout time you know that's uh you know since the 80s 70s but um, actually investing other people's money um, legally that uh, this is uh really new and yeah just came about recently uh with some new legislature so it's an exciting time cool well i know you're regarded as one of the better vetters in vegas can you give us a little bit of background just on how you got there before this you ever got the fun started but how you got into sports betting a little bit of your history there yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I, I mean, I grew up understanding sports betting, which is pretty rare here in the United States because it's mostly illegal outside the state of Nevada, despite the majority of the population uh, partaking in it. But um, my grandpa was a successful businessman, but uh, 
not so uh, great of a sports better, but he did teach me about uh, point spreads and odds um, at a very early age. So, I mean, I can vividly remember being in elementary school and some of my friends would say, you know, hey, the, the Bulls, man, they crushed it, you know, yesterday. Michael Jordan put up 45 points and I would be like, yeah, but the Bulls didn't cover the spread of six points. <laughs> and, uh, and they would be like, what do you mean? What do you, what do you, what's the spread? What are you talking about? And I would be able to explain it to them. And this was like when I was in sixth grade. So um, I had already grasped the concept of odds and sports betting at a very early age. Fast forward to college, I uh, was sports betting on my own and, uh, you know, not doing very well, uh, struggling, making a lot of mistakes that a bunch of novice bettors would make. And uh, fortunately, I was younger then. I wasn't dealing with uh, tons of money. Mm-hmm. So, so it didn't cripple me at an early, and didn't turn me away uh, at a very early age. I took the, my experiences and learned from it, did a ton of research, particularly read a book, uh, Michael Kent's Computer Group, which uh, he's uh, had a group. They developed some uh, computer-based programs to beat sports books in uh, mm-hmm. Vegas. Did really well in the uh, 80s. And uh, yeah, I uh, enlisted the services of my friend who was getting his master's um, in computer engineering and uh, since went on to uh, go on and work at Qualcomm and has since started his own company. But yeah, he helped uh, develop a computer program uh, using some key inputs that I deemed were important to be successful in sports betting. And uh, from there, I used, I've been using that system with some minor tweaks here and there as, as we go forward. But uh yeah, what did well in San Diego, I was doing it, I was, you know, betting in San Diego using bookies and uh, such and, and did very well. I maxed out all my accounts, got cut off from the various bookies I was dealing with. And then um, I, w- I was working, you know, some jobs and uh, decided, hey, if I'm, you know, I'm as good as advertised, I need to go out and uh, prove myself. So I came out to Vegas was noticed by a major syndicate out here who, uh, you know, they're betting lot, lots of money per, per game, uh, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of dollars per game. Um, I consulted for them for a few years while betting on my own as well. And yeah, I was chomping at the bit for this opportunity to come through and yeah, was able, once the legislation uh, passed, I was uh, the first company to register my, my fund in the state of Nevada. Very cool. So I want to back up to a, a couple terms you use. So one sure. thing uh, you mentioned was a syndicate. How does how would a syndicate like that actually operate? Is it just is it kind of a lead lead better, and then there's maybe a dozen people that bet alongside of that better? Yeah. So I mean, I still I still kind of uh, you know work with them in, in ways, but uh, so I can't I don't want to give out too much of mm-hmm. the information. But a syndicate pretty much it works as they have a set of handicappers, right? So mm-hmm. they'll have three or four people who they trust to pick the sides of the games that are correct. And then they have a group of people who will go to the different sports books and pe- put those bets in. So they're pretty much, uh, it's maybe a group of, you know, it depends, but um, they'll call the shot. So they'll, the handicappers will provide, which is what I did. I consulted and gave the picks mm-hmm. to them. And uh, they would take, you know, the picks from the various handicappers, decide which games they uh, wanted out of those, and then they would have their uh, runners or betters go place them around town at the various sports books and overseas. Cool. And so, um, yeah, they were doing that with, uh, I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's, uh, you know, it's a big deal, and it, it's 
it's frowned upon in Vegas. Uh, right. Sports books, you know, are, are extremely against it. So, and, so yeah. And what about a like a bookie? What is exactly a bookie? We always think of a bookie as just someone who's, who's just setting up their own line, right, and taking trades on e- either side of the line from kind of their their customer group or something. Yeah. So, so with the the current laws in the United States, what it does is it facilitates, you know, uh, illegal activity mm-hmm. because uh, outside Nevada, sports betting is illegal, just like, you know, prohibition. Uh, the government says you can't do it. So you have people making alcohol in their bathrooms and selling it mm-hmm. uh, because the demand is there. So that's the, sa- that's the same case is true throughout the United States. So outside of Nevada, you have bookies uh, acting like sports books, usually they're not setting the lines. They're just taking the lines from Vegas or mm-hmm. offshore and uh, using those same lines and fielding action from players Got yeah, it. With, those, with those lines. Got yeah. it. So I, I remember being in college, Florida State University, my whole fraternity would always be betting every single week, mostly on football and stuff. I don't even actually know how they were they were betting. I would assume some of it was through bookies and some of it is through websites do you know a little bit of, of yes. the different ways that people at least previously were able to make bets I, I know a lot of this was enabled by the internet but where the i think this had to be like offshore companies or offshore sites like how what were some of the dif- different ways that people in the u.s at least could bet on say nfl or nba yeah so uh and i and i used to do this as well when i was in college uh and i could admit that because the statute of limitations is passed <laughs> but uh, you can uh yeah you uh, anyone could uh, set up an offshore account through a number of different sites uh those offshore accounts are, he- are offshore books are held usually in uh, like costa rica uh, Nicaragua, uh, that's where they're held. And so basically you would go to, you could actually do it now with a credit card, but I uh, used to back in the day have to go to like um, wire the money from, from your bank or whatnot and you'd wire it into the account and then you could pull up on your screen the odds and uh, make the wagers uh, that way. The problem with that is obviously for one, the government's not, you know, taxing it, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is uh, you're sending U.S. money overseas to these sports books. And some of these books, they're not very reputable. So they get beat enough and they just close up shop and take the money. Wow. And what are you going to do? Yeah, that's in Costa Rica. I mean, the majority of players don't win, right? They lose, so they never experience this. But uh, I've had a few incidences where it, it takes, you know, they would stall, they would send maybe, if I won X amount of money, they would uh, send, you know, part of it and it would take, you know, uh, a month to two months <laughs> to cash out the, the remaining amount. So, so yeah, that that's how a lot of people throughout uh, the United States are, um, are wagering. And right. just to give you a sense of the market, uh, in Nevada, $5 billion is wagered legally. The estimate... Uh, number throughout the United States that's wagered e- illegally, either offshore or with bookies, is uh, between 150 billion and 200 billion. Wow! So that, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, like I mentioned, it's equivalent to prohibition. Everyone's doing it. It's just uh, the legislation hasn't caught up yet. So, so when we talk about internationally, globally, it's could be close to a trillion dollar industry. Definitely. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's huge. Uh, Europe and you know Football Australia. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Taking into account and Africa is even uh, pretty heavy on it uh, right now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, setting up casinos. So yeah, it's uh, you're looking at a big time industry, and and it's pretty much right now the wild wild west. Uh, right. Right now, people are setting up. You know, yeah, there there are opportunities to make money, and yeah, the 
with the current legislation being what it is, it just uh, facilitates, you know, kind of a black market. And uh, in the near future, it's estimated that, you know, sports betting will become more legalized and heavily recepted and received in the United States. And when that does happen, you know, that presents great opportunities, not only for myself, but the industry as a whole and, and just casual bettors as well. So. Yeah. So what do you think is so this stuff has to, in my opinion, would have to get become more and more legal, more and more accessible. The U.S. is going to want to make more money off taxes. It just seems to be the, the way things are going. What's like what's your vision for this global opportunity, this the global industry? I mean, we're, we're talking already potentially a trillion dollar industry. Like how could how big could this get? So, yeah, this is in, in my estimate. I mean, this is the net, the little brother of the stock market. Mm-hmm. Because how it's set up right now, uh, there is a bill in the Supreme Court, so the Supreme Court's reviewing to legalize sports betting throughout the United States. And so what would happen is the states would have to, you know, on their own approve it, and then, uh, you know, sports betting will be legal state by state, and that decision is expected sometime next year. Uh, When that happens, you could expect a lot of that money offshore to come here on the uh, you know, in state. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, Google and uh, I believe it's Yahoo have filed patents to be essentially brokers in this oh, industry. My. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, right now uh, the current setup is you know I have to deal with a sports book, right? And they're basically taking my action, you know, minimizing risk against other players, having other players on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. They try to balance their action. They're also charging a ten percent vig. Um, so you only pay the VIG if you lose, but that is a fairly high markup. And so currently in Europe, they have something called Betfair uh, to exchange, and uh, basically it lowers the VIG. So for successful players, and, and it just provides essentially more more money in your pocket because you have less, you know, overhead and, and, and risk uh, for every wager that you're making. So uh, we expect to see exchanges here in the United States. Um, once it uh, becomes legal, which is, I mean, extreme for someone like me who's been cut off from various sports books in yeah. uh, Nevada, you know, having an exchange run going up against other people instead of a sports book who, if I'm beating, you know, enough, will just cut me off and limit my opportunities. Yeah. So, so yeah. Wild. So, so t- talking about the fund that that has been set up and how it was enabled, is this whole thing kind of like like marijuana is currently in the U.S., where it's illegal on a federal level, but then states are coming in and, and governing their own statutes, and now it's it's theoretically legal in in a few states. Now we have this that seems like it was enabled, but only in Nevada. Yeah. So actually, no. So in in a sense, yes, the legalization in Nevada is um, just like that of marijuana in Colorado, where mm-hmm. it's just legal in Nevada currently. But um, with the legislature that was passed, I'm able to operate a fund in Nevada with taking in investors from outside the state of Nevada. So I'm not dealing with just uh, Nevada residents. I have investors from all over the country and, in fact, uh, foreign. And the way it's set up is they're investing in a company. They have no say in what games I'm wagering on. And so for... Th- so for that, they're not technically, you know, wagering on sports. They're just investing in the company. The okay. company just happens to wager on sports. So, so yeah, the, for, this is a, a new thing for the whole, you know, industry and for United States. This is uh, new, and uh, it provides access to 
individuals from all around the country and even the world to uh, invest in a fund like this uh, and provide a new asset class uh, pretty much for everyone. So the one issue it that there is is because it's only legal in the state of Nevada. The liquidity in the market is not quite where I'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, once we have you know the laws passed where other states are able to have legal sports betting then you know the liquidity goes up and i'm able to you know risk more take on more and uh, the industry grows as a whole so that's cool so i i watched a couple of the videos that were on your site this has gotten a lot of media attention and i saw one i forget what it was someone that was working for the state of nevada that was part of this legislature and it was really really smart like listening to this guy talk and part of the reason they're doing it, of course, to make money, but also to bring in some of the top talent from around the world. So right now you have MIT grads that are creating software to try to do high frequency trading and beat the market and all this other stuff, right? There's so many really, really smart brains in that in that market, in that category. But if they, they can enable this and bring this whole new investment class, make it make it legal, then you can start recruiting some of the smartest minds of the U.S. to Nevada, right? So it's it's much more than just money. It's recruiting really, really good talent from, you know, places like Silicon Valley and Wall Street and bringing them to, to the state of Nevada. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, on, on top of that, it's what it's doing is keeping the money in, in Nevada, right? Because you're having the smartest people in Nevada in, investing in sports betting. So uh, pretty much the design is whilst, you know, they're smart. The legislation is smart. They understand sports betting has begun, begun become more widely accepted throughout the United States. This will keep the sharpest and the smartest people in Nevada. So mm-hmm. where are you going to invest your money? It's going to be Nevada, just like you have the commodities market in Chicago. Uh, you have, you know, the New York Stock Exchange in New York. They want, you know, Nevada to be the hub for the smartest and sharpest uh, in the sports betting field. Right. So just in terms of timelines, it looks like your phone was started in March 2016. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. And was that shortly shortly thereafter the, the bill being passed in Nevada? Yeah. So it was about, I want to say, eight or nine months after the bill passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had filed our paperwork in advance. As you can imagine, there, you know, was some holdups with uh, we had to have bank on board to house the money that's coming in from outside the state. So we had to go through, jump through some hoops. Uh, mm-hmm. We were able to get that all accomplished. And that took about the eight to nine months for us to, you know, finally launch officially in, uh, in March 2016. Very cool. So I saw that Mark Cuban was quoting you guys in the Wall Street Journal saying that you guys are doing a great job. How did that ever come up? Yeah, so Mark Cuban actually, you know, I mean, he foresaw this uh, a while ago. He actually wrote a blog, uh, and you could Google it, and uh, I believe it's 2008, 2007, where he claims that sports betting is going to be the new asset class. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was featured on the front page of the Wall Street Journal uh, when my fund was launched, and uh, they reached out to him because he's a, been a proponent of uh, sports betting, even mm-hmm. despite. He owns a uh, you know NBA team, and typically you know the leagues have stayed away from legalized sports betting. Mm-hmm. They had you know they they have some fear that you know maybe games will be fixed due to money yeah. being out there, ex- excess money being out there. So they have kind of shied away. When in in, actu- in all actuality, um, it's easier to track if games are being fixed if the market's more 
regulated and uh, widely accessible to mm. everyone. Because, you know, if you see unusual betting patterns on certain games, you're able to say, hey, there's unusual betting patterns. They're able to notify the league and they can look into it, match fixing. But yeah. That was awesome. So, so yeah. So yeah, Mark Cuban, uh, they reached out to him and he, uh, you know, provided a quote for the article on uh, contrarian investments. Very cool. Well, when it comes to actually making bets, I guess we're not calling them trades, right? We're, we're calling them bets. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're bets, uh, but I mean, I refer to them as trades because, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just put it to you like this. You know, there's a lot being made of what's gambling, what's investing, right? Yeah. And, uh, and an investment is something that you expect to see a return on your money on. And uh, that's what I, I mean, I'm not doing this for fun, for entertainment. I mean, I expect to make money off right. of this. Otherwise, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have uh, put all this into it. And there's plenty of, uh, you know, people putting money on stocks that are gamblers. They mm -hmm. have no edge. And, you know, it seems more legit because they're investing in real estate or they're investing in stocks mm -hmm. when, in fact, uh, they have no edge. They're gambling. Uh, but what I'm doing is, you know, I, I do... It is typically gambling, that's what it's labeled, but I'm investing as uh, my investors put money in to see a return on their investment. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, all, but, all, the yeah. all the previous years, you've been, you've been betting your own personal money or, or, or advising for syndicates and stuff like that, and now you're, you're managing the fund, and basically putting in bets, trades through the fund. Is your, is your strategy and the way that you do that, you operate this the exact same as when you're, you know, wagering your own money? Are you able to make the same amount of trades in, in the same style or is it different when you're operating a fund and other people's money? Yeah, so that, I, I it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, the wagers I'm making are exactly the same wagers that I make, uh, that I make with my own money. The only I mean, the difference is now I have to answer to investors, whereas before I, I make the trade and, uh, you know, the result is the result. And, you know, we go from there. And the, the issue is with my type of in, investing, right? It's contrarian investments. Basically, what I'm doing is I'm going against popular opinion. And in sports betting, it's even more apparent to the average Joe, what is the better team, right? Uh, when you're dealing with stocks, people might think, you know, hey, Apple's a great company or, or whatnot. But uh, when you're dealing with stocks, it's like, hey, or sports, it's like, hey, the Patriots are the best team. You, you bet on the Patriots. Typically, what we do is, you know, we find uh, inflated lines and we're betting against those sides. So it's hard to explain to investors when we're on the Browns or we're on the Jaguars, right? Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're not a popular team. And, uh, and especially when it loses, then it's like, oh, hey, yeah. like what, it you know, what, really what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, what, what the hell are you doing? I mean, do you, are, are you sure you're as good as advertised? People start questioning. Uh, yeah. But uh, once they see, you know, the net return at the end of the season, um, you know, all my investors are, are satisfied with that. And uh, that's why, you know, I'm growing organically. I'm not doing a lot of outreach marketing. Mm -hmm. In fact, when, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, the type of investment I am, you can't do a lot of outreach, outreach marketing. So I'm growing my fund organically. And the people that invested 10000 at the beginning now put up 40000 The people mm -hmm. that put up five are now putting up ten because they've seen the results and, uh, you know, they know in the long run my strategy pays off. Right. Now, how many bets will you make in a typical time frame, let's say like a week or a month? Or is it, you know, does it depend on seasons and stuff like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't just say for granted like, hey, there's going to be 
five bets a, a week. It all depends on the numbers, right, uh, that come out. So what I'm doing is I have a computer program that I'm able to, it's basically a simulation of the two teams that are playing, you know, mm-hmm. say the, the Patriots and the Falcons. And uh, we have an estimated point spread. And we match it up versus sportsbooks point spread and find, you know, you know the differences uh, and look for value. Uh, what's different is we also look for, you know, sides that, are overly bet by the public, which uh, for us, you know, we're able to safely assume on the contest we're looking at, the sports book inflated those lines because they didn't want too much liability on one side. So we look for those opportunities and we, um, you know, and, uh, where there's value. And so uh, some weeks there's uh, plenty of opportunity, you know, we might have five to six uh, wagers in a week. And then other times, I mean, last year I could, there was a week where we had zero. And that was during the NFL, and I got a bunch of emails from, like, hey, what happened? We had zero investments, you know, this week. What's going on? And it's, uh, you know, if there's not value there, we're not going to risk our clients' money. So mm-hmm. we wait for the right opportunity and fire away on those sides exclusively. And are there any particular sports or events that you really like? And have, I know I've looked at your, a bit of your track record. It looks like you always crush it in the NBA. Is, is, that, <laughs> yeah. is that like your, your bread and butter? So, so uh, the model that we use, it deals strictly with point spreads, right? So uh, sports that deal with point spreads, that, that's football and basketball, both college and pro. Those are the sports that we stick to. And um, yeah, uh, NBA so far has been good, but you know, it's uh, there's variance in every sport. So we can't say, hey, we're not going to do college basketball anymore. We're just going to do pro. We have to stick to, uh, you know, the numbers and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll pan out, you know, over time. Maybe NBA won't be as, uh, you know, beneficial down the road, but college basketball will. So yeah, we just have to, you know, stick to the sides. But yeah, we just stick to uh, football and basketball just point spreads, no money lines. And, and yeah, that's it, both college and pro. So when you say point spread, you're saying we're taking the under or the, no, no, you're taking, you're taking a team on the spread, right? Correct, yeah. So we're just betting the spread. We're not taking a team to win. Like, for example, the Mayweather uh, fight where you're pretty much risking 500 to win 100 on Mayweather. We're taking, you know, the uh, Patriots are say the Chiefs, to uh, stay within eight points of the Patriots. So yeah, we're just dealing with the the spreads. And so if our numbers indicate that that line should be the Patriots are only four points better than the Chiefs, and uh, we see that, you know, it's eight points, Mm -hmm. there's value right there. So we're going to take the Chiefs uh, plus the eight points because we have some some value uh, on that contest. So we just saw Mayweather, McGregor, I thought it was a shitty fight personally because I was, you know, but everyone afterwards like, oh, it was such a great fight, you know. Were you in Vegas for that? Yeah, yeah. So um, my, my personal opinion on that is it was a cash grab for both guys. Everyone yeah. got paid except for the, the viewers. No, <laughs> I mean, the, the viewers are shelling out money and uh, it got Show distributed. Yeah, just all over, you know, Vegas uh, for the promoters to the fighters to, you know, the networks. Everyone got paid except for, I mean, the people watching the, the fight. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't a big fan of it going in. I'm more of a fan of, uh, you know, people that have a little more hard-nosed, a little more, you know, they, they've earned it. Maybe it's not the right. sexiest thing. It's not the most popular. But, um, 
you know, people that ha- uh, deserve to, to be there. And uh, nothing against uh, Conor McGregor, but just putting a UFC guy versus a boxing guy, it, it was strictly a cash grab in my yeah. opinion. But, but yeah. the guys here in Vegas, I, I mean, they, they loved it because uh, they cleaned up. So Yeah, so I'm, they, a, I'm, a Mick, I'm a McGregor fan, but, and, yeah. you know, I think going into that fight, you... I think a lot of UFC fans and McGregor fans were blind, but once you once you actually got them in the ring together, it just after the first round or two, it just never looked right. It was right. it was always going to be Mayweather, and whether whether they want to admit it or not, it's it's just such a different sport, you know. So For very sure. interesting. So how much will you guys bet on a single bet? Is it do you try to you said you stick to the numbers? You try to bet only a certain percentage of the overall fund on a certain on any individual bet yeah definitely so and it, and it seems rather high right it's uh we try to risk five and a half percent of the initial funds investment per contest so that's uh would seem fairly high but it's based on the estimated number of plays per season which is around 130 uh, plays for the season and Mm. our historical win percentage which is just over we use 55 percent but it's just over 55 percent and using a kelly criterion uh, half kelly model we come up with a 5.3 percent is our estimated risk per play that's slightly rounded up just to make it uh, aesthetically you know with, with appeasing with the numbers so mm-hmm. we risk five and a half percent but uh like i mentioned if we hit just over 55 percent and some seasons it's been you know a lot more than that it's rarely been less to break even is you have to hit 52.4 percent and so mm-hmm. uh that margin right there that's uh what we capitalize on so if we were risking only say one percent per play then yeah we're uh at the end of the year, we're not grossing too much, so the estimated risk should be 5.5%. And it, it, what it does is it, it does provide, you know, some imbalance and some uh, variation, you know, through, mm-hmm. the, through the season. But mm-hmm. uh, when you take it from beginning to end, it, it, it's, it's worked its way out, documented uh, for many years. So, so yeah. Interesting. So if, if you guys win 55% of the time and you're basically wagering this, the, uh, the same percentage of money each time, mm-hmm. what can your, you know, what can your upside be? If you, if you win 55% of the time, what type of return could that end up being on the year? Yeah. So we've, we've averaged, uh, right around just over 40%, I think is like 41.9%. You know, that's, that's been our average. So, so yeah, uh, obviously we can't, you know, say for sure that that's going to be the case every year. Unfortunately, uh, the first year of the fund, you know, didn't go as we didn't gross as much as we'd uh, expect. Mm-hmm. So far, we're at uh, like 12.66%. We experienced some uh, fairly heavy negative variant variance in uh, December mm-hmm. of this past year. We had, mm-hmm. I think, five straight profitable months and then took a huge hit in December and it wasn't just us. Like I mentioned, our strategy, we're going against the sports, our, mm-hmm. uh, the public, the majority of the plays. So we're aligned with the sports book on the more, majority of our wagers. And uh, William Hill, one of the biggest bookmakers you know, in the world, issued their third profit warning to their investors, our shareholders, in uh, December mm-hmm. based on the public getting lucky. And in January, a number of books came out that said they experienced their worst, you know, weekend ever Mm -hmm. they took their biggest losses ever so yeah despite that we we still came out profitable for the majority of our investors so so yeah we were able to you know still sustain and and uh do well but yeah we didn't meet our our target Mm -hmm. 
for the year. Interesting. Cool. Well, twelve and a half percent. Nothing to be shy, you know, shy away from. Most hedge funds in the world would be quite happy if they were able to get twelve and a half percent. Of course, there are up years and down years. I just th- think for you know, for the average investor, these people that that know sports well are they looking at this as kind of an alternative non-correlated asset class that they just want to be part of or are these people that are investing really into sports already yeah so that that's very interesting so it started out that all my initial investors were people who had followed my success previously so i've documented on uh, multiple third-party tracking sites and people followed my success and when i opened the fund those were my initial investors mm-hmm. since then as uh, some articles have come out like I mentioned I've been in the Wall Street Journal uh, Bloomberg now I'm starting to get some and those articles weren't even that great I mean to be honest they didn't touch on all the points but um yeah I received some interest from people looking to diversify their holdings so mm-hmm. and uh, since then yeah a lot of my investors are people strictly looking to you know they think the market's kind of at a peak right now and they're looking to you know maybe diversify a little bit and we provide a you know a zero beta asset like we're not tied to any you know correlation to the market whatsoever mm-hmm. so it, it provides a unique opportunity for people and yeah. the, the other difference is um, when we're when we're investing on a, you know in a game or, or whatnot and pe- people could witness the outcome for themselves so I notify all my investors here's the side we're on at the number we're on they're able to watch their investment you know play out in real life and oh, that's uh, fun. Yeah, and it, it provides maybe a sense of entertainment, but also yeah. a sense of satisfaction because a lot of times when you're investing in stocks, for instance, what company was it? Uh, Best Buy just came mm-hmm. out. They beat their they beat their numbers, but then the uh, CEO says, "Yeah, but you know things could get rough in the future," and the stock tanks. But yeah. uh, uh, people that are investing and they're saying and they're betting on Best Buy just beating their numbers and the stock going up, that happened. And they still lost money, right? right? So a lot of times to a lot of investors, it kind of seems like the stock market may be not rigged, but just just against them in a way. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this way, it's, uh, you know, if the Bills cover versus the Patriots, you get paid out. You don't, you know, it's not the Bills cover versus the Patriots, but we expect the, but the Chiefs are... Uh, the Bills lost their quarterback, so next, uh, right? You know, so you lose your bet. You know what I mean? It's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. If it, if it pays out, then um, and they cover the spread, then the investors profit. So now, now when will you put? Yeah, when will you put in the the bets? Uh, again, not being from any, having any of a type of betting background, but let's say the there's a spread. Do those spreads sometimes move? You know, as you get closer to the games, isn't that is that true or or not? That's a that's a great point, and that's one of the key advantages that I provide to my investors. So mm-hmm. uh, when I was working with the syndicate, I was a little green in that area. Um, you're 100% right. So the odds are constantly moving throughout mm-hmm. the week. The sports books say we'll just take NFL for example. They'll put out the lines Sunday night, Monday. You know, they they firm up a little bit. Wednesday, they're you're able to bet into them, meaning you're able to you know take stronger positions, uh, excess of maybe ten grand on a game. Thursday, you have injury reports come out. So Friday, you'll start seeing some of the sharp money show up, and the lines move all the way up until game time based on injuries, weather, you know, just the money coming into the market, various things. So one of the things that you know sets me apart is I'm able to not only beat the market, but I'm pretty much currently I set I've set the market uh, mm-hmm. last year for a number of these games. 
that, that go off. So basically I'm betting into a sharp book, uh, CG technologies that are one of the, uh, sharper books in Vegas and they take, you know, fairly large wagers and the rest of the outlets, they kind of, they respect this, uh, bookmaker. So when this bookmaker moves their line, the rest of the market kind of adjusts and, uh, kind of follows suit. And so when I'm hitting a game, they're even off of a bet as small as maybe $5,000, they're moving their line and the rest of the market is a uh, followed suit. So there's been a uh, there's a Monday night football game, which uh, Monday night, I mean, that attracts a lot of dollars on it. It's hard to move a line too much based on, you know, injury and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, unless there's an injury, unless a quarterback's out, then the line's going to move. But um, yeah. I, I, I hit the line in the morning at around uh, 9, 10 a.m. Uh, I moved it, you know, a half point to a point. And, um, yeah, the market started to follow suit and certain pundits and talking heads got on their podcasts and their shows and said, Hey, sharp money is on this side. And the public just kind of threw money at it, followed it. (laughs) It it ended up, uh, the line moved, uh, four points, which is uh, crazy for, uh, a Monday night football game. And I had the best number in, in the market. I had the absolute best number that was out there. So and just to your point that you mentioned earlier about NBA, how you know I've done really well, that's a direct indicator. I ran the numbers on you know how well I did versus the closing number, not just how if my games won or not, but if I'm able to beat the closing number. And in NBA, I beat the closing number 58% of the time versus uh, having the closing number. I want to say it was around. 30% of the time and the rest I you know I had the worst of the number mm-hmm. but uh, that just shows that you know there's a strong correlation between getting the best number and being profitable right. in, cool. in the industry. Yeah, yeah. so I was, I was going to say like if if you bet if you make a bet and then the the spread gets better would you ever would you ever make a second bet on that or is it it's just once and done and and hopefully you're on the right side of the number. Yeah, so I'm I'm confident and I mean there's Stuff Europe has something called in-game betting, and that's uh, provides a huge opportunity in the United States and uh, here in Vegas. Even we're not we're not there yet. So uh, the most I could get down on an in-game bet is three hundred dollars, which is nothing. It's not worth it. So um, where I'm at right now, I you know I'm confident in our numbers when we have value. You know we're placing our bet, and despite the number moving, even if it gets better or worse, we're we're confident of uh, the number that we hit it at, and so we we stay put. But um, mm. but in game betting, once it does become the liquidity increases, that's definitely provides an even better opportunity for us to be more profitable long term. Gotcha. So, Chris, tell us where the fund is now, and what's your what's your goal with the fund? Do you have a certain size in mind that you want to get it to, or a certain amount of investors? Yeah. So right now, like I I bet every play that I bet with the fund, I also bet with my own money. Uh, currently, what I'm doing is just trying to grow the fund organically. You know, our our goal is to raise uh, two million dollars in investor funds by football season next year. And uh, I'm only going to do that by producing results for for the investors. So that that's our that's our goal right now. I'm I'm not looking to uh, go out and raise a ton of money right now, just because the liquidity is not quite there yet. Uh, once, like I mentioned, this time next year, sport will begin to see sports betting legalized throughout the country, and that's going to increase the increase the liquidity. And mm-hmm. there's no reason why 
I'm not managing a fund that's uh, 10 million plus and, you know, three to five years, you know, I'm not managing pensions for people and uh, of that nature. I really right. do anticipate us uh, going in that direction and, you know, this becoming, like I mentioned, the, the little brother of the stock market, uh, just an uncorrelated uh, asset class. Right. So even at 2 million, if you're betting 5%, that's a hundred grand for the Browns to beat the spread. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, and we're we're not quite there yet. We're not at the two million mark. That's where, yeah, that's where we expect to be. But uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that, that's, that's a lot of yeah. It's it's fun. It's a lot of risk. Uh, it right. is a lot of risk. But um, you know, uh, like I mentioned, our numbers have indicated you know at, over the over the course of the season that that pays off. So so yeah. And how, how about the experience of, of running the fund versus your own money? I would think, you know, taking on investors from across the U.S. and even foreign investors you mentioned, I would feel like that would take quite a bit of administration and, and resources. Has that been, how's that experience been for you? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's been, uh, it's, it's night and day. I mean, it's, like I mentioned, one of the things that sets me apart is I'm able to pinpoint uh, and get the best lines on games and that requires waking up early monitoring the lines offshore and in Vegas And that requires a fair amount of time and that's what I was doing before I started the fund so as you can imagine now having investors to answer to to um, you know Taxes this is uh, this is a legal operation. So I provide all my investors. They have you know tax documents that uh, are, are being sent to them and you know foreign investors would have to hold their 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 profits, you know, and pay taxes on their behalf. So, you know, and then we're dealing with uh, the bank and, and uh, everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, it, it requires uh, quite a bit of administra administration. And, yeah, I'm fairly lucky. We had a great group of uh, interns um, that mm -hmm. came out and helped out this summer. Uh, they That's learned cool. a lot. But, they're, I mean, these guys are sharp. I, uh, I'll just give them a quick shout-out real quick. Uh, Nick Heath is from Harvard. Andrew uh, Ekoff from Northeastern University. Aaron Handel from uh, New Hampshire and uh, Marie Garcia from uh, North Carolina. So these guys are super sharp. They helped, you know, with the prospectus and uh, various things. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a blessing this summer. So what what uh, an amazing internship opportunity, and it would, it would a great business to have interns as a part as well. For sure, yeah. So they, you know, they're all. Uh, into investment and you know finance so yeah it, it worked uh, hand in hand and uh these guys are super gonna be super successful super mm -hmm. go you know go, go getters get for yeah. sure yeah and I, I love your guys fee structure can you tell us just a little bit about that yeah definitely i mean i'm i'm confident you know i'm able to produce results for my investors i don't charge any assets under management fee i only re get a profit if i create a profit for my investors. So the typical hedge fund fee structure, as your as your listeners are well aware, it's uh, usually it's a 220, 330, where it's, uh, you know, 2% of assets under management are, you know, for fees, and then they're taking 20% of profits. So mm -hmm. I, I'm taking 20% of uh, profits generated, and uh, we do profit, uh, we do uh, practice a high watermark, you know, so if I return 10%, in the first quarter and then five you know we have a loss of five percent the second quarter and then we go back up to 15 percent investors only pay the 20 percent on gains right from mm -hmm. the 10 to the 15 so they're only yeah they're only paying a uh, fee on uh, on profits generated there's no assets under management and there's no other fees uh, involved 
Very cool. I love that. An interest yeah. are aligned, so it's that's really good to see. So, Chris, tell us where listeners can find out more. Any quick uh, shout-outs to what you guys have going on or any of the material? Yeah, so um, the season obviously is starting up. Uh, we just had a soft kind of opening for college football, but uh, college football really opens up this week, this Thursday. So I'm glad we were able to get this interview in because uh, mm-hmm. the grind is here. So uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, football's, um, you know, NFL opens the following week. So I'll be like I mentioned, my sole you know goal is to just produce results for investors. So that's going to be my sole focus uh, going forward. And yeah, investor, anyone could find us on uh, contrarianinvestments.net. On Twitter, I post all the, and on the website, you can find all the plays that uh, we make, all the investments we make on the side, so you could track how we're doing. And um, yeah, uh, looking forward to a solid season. Uh, we look, our goal is to potentially open up an office outside of the United States where we'll be able to hold foreign invest uh, investments there mm-hmm. and uh, use the Betfair in Europe, exchange in Europe. That's mm-hmm. uh, our, our goal down, down the road. But uh, mm-hmm. right now, it's just to focus on this upcoming season and uh, do well. Chris, this is awesome, man. Well, we appreciate you working to pioneer this new frontier, I guess, for lack of better words. And we love the new passive investment class and looking forward to watching it evolve with you. So thanks for coming on and sharing all of your information and knowledge with us on the show. Yeah, you got it, Sam. And I really enjoy it. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, you know, leading up to our interview and uh, man, really exciting stuff. So I, I like what you guys are doing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. So, Sam, are you going to place any bets? <laughs> oh, man, I don't, this is this is such an interesting thing to me. I just don't know if I'm interested in it. I, I'm interested more in it as because I think it'd be cool to see. I, I like the process and the systems behind it. Not that it's just like an emotional gut pull like, hey, I like the Patriots over the Browns. I like the fact that there's there's just data and statistics that go into it. And I always love that type of stuff. So I think it's really cool. I don't know if I'm going to be doing any sports betting recently. I thought about betting on the the Mayweather McGregor fight, but I want to love you know, mix love and passion. How about you, Johnny? So I'm curious if you did bet on the Mayweather McGregor fight, what what would you have uh, bet on? Well, what I decided was I, I just I, I didn't know I wouldn't bet because it's how I like I always felt about my football team, Florida State. I never wanted to bet on them because I would always want I would have you know home team bias, so I would of course bet on my team. But if you lose, you double lose. So it's almost like you want to bet on the other team. So it's the same with Mayweather McGregor. Like I, I really didn't think McGregor had that much of a chance. But I would have. I didn't want to bet on Mayweather because then if McGregor actually pulled it off, then I'd be like, eh. So nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have bet. But I think the smart money obviously prevailed, and and Mayweather tore him up pretty good. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think as an MMA fan, I should have known. I, I did know 100% that Mayweather would win and that this was just a, a big hype up. If it was, especially if it, let's say it was the opposite, you know, where uh, Mayweather went into UFC, I would have bet for sure because I know he literally has yeah. zero chance of winning. And boxing is not really my sport. So, you know, and they hyped it up so well where they wanted to make it seem like he had a, he had a good chance. But the main reason why I didn't bet was because even if I, I won, if I bet on Mayweather and I won, the payout would be so low that it wouldn't it wouldn't be worth, <laughs> worth the risk. Right. So with sports betting, the re- the reason why I never do it is because I don't have access to all the statistics. 
and I'll be doing it off of emotion. And I think the only time I would ever actually bet in the future is on like a UFC match where I know the the people who who match the match the fights are pretty good. Where there's almost always a close to a fifty fifty chance of, of somebody winning, and because MMA is so volatile, where there's so many different things that can, can happen, you know, you never know who's going to win. You know, even if one person's the favor. So the next time there is like a hometown favorite where someone's had like a five or seven fight win streak and they think they're unstoppable and the odds are, you know, uh, are stacked up against the other person. And it just makes sense on paper, even without emotion, to saying, all right, well, you know, this fight is is going to be, you know, there's always close to 50-50 chance of these people winning. And if, if I bet mm-hmm. on the underdog because nobody knows them and the other person's won seven fights in a row – if I if I put a hundred bucks down or put a thousand dollars down, I can make twenty five times that. On paper, that just makes sense. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, I, and, yeah, go and I think that that's kind of what I was thinking when I was just listening to this episode as well. Yeah, so I was one of the things that stuck out before the fight with Mayweather McGregor. I was listening to some guys compare it, and I thought it was actually really smart. Where in like MMA, people get knocked out all the time that aren't supposed to get knocked out. You have a clear favor. You have a clear uh, someone who, who's supposed to be the the odds-on winner, they get knocked out. But in boxing, it's much much more predictable because it's it really is like Mayweather can throw three punches and basically bounce around and dance around a ring the entire time. So, and they were saying like you know except for like the Tyson era, people just don't really get knocked out. Everyone's like oh May, you know McGregor can come in and knock him out. Of course, that's what I was kind of hoping, but it just really doesn't happen that often in boxing. People don't just get like one punch KO'd except in like the Tyson era but it's just much more predictable sport so I don't know I I thought people keep saying the fight was great I thought the fight sucked I thought it was I thought it was boring you know we're used to seeing McGregor fight Diaz in the the UFC that's exciting watching that fight I thought was really boring and uh, everyone after the fight's like "Uh, McGregor did great McGregor did I thought it sucked I thought he did a bad job he fatigued if he hadn't fatigued I think he could have won the fight. Like he was fighting good in the first three rounds, but the fatigue killed him in the end, and, and I thought it ended up becoming a boring fight. Well, I, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but Mayweather was basically just messing with him <laughs> the entire fight, and I think he he did it because he wanted the fans to enjoy a seven round fight and not just mm-hmm. have him dominate McGregor in the first round. And yeah. It was maybe it was also part of his plan just to let Mayweather get fatigued and then just take him out from there, you know, just in case, you know, so he doesn't get any big hits. Yeah. But either way, it's this kind of almost symbolizes the the end of of the boxing area. I don't, I don't know if there's any other big stars out there right now. You know, Pacquiao is retired. You know, he's retired. Yeah. There's some. There's ironically, there's two. You know, really good Ukrainian boxers right now. Um, yeah, there is. But I know the one. I think uh, UFC is where it's at, so that's my sport. And as far as investing in sports betting, to be honest, I was I was listening to this episode and I pulled out my phone and I started looking it up and I was like, you know what, I, I, this makes sense. I want to do this, and I I almost paused the episode to to put some money in because I, I figured this is one of those things where it's not correlated with the stock market or real estate market, and I'm always looking for that. And I also figured these are one of those things that has a high potential upside as well as a high potential downside. And I like having, you know, five or ten thousand dollars in these type of investments for that, you know, those big wins. Um mm-hmm. and if I lose, it's not, you know, more than one percent of my net worth, so it's not a big deal. But ultimately at the end of the day, I, I decided not to. 
Okay. So I, I think this is going to be really popular and I, I think this whole industry is going to get huge. And for a lot of reasons, I think it's going to be a good and it's weird calling it an investment class, but maybe we'll call it a financial instrument. But anyways, I think it's going to be huge. I know a lot of smart people. Nevada is going to start taking some talent from Wall Street. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of money in sports betting. And if they can find ways to attract lots of money to be managed, which essentially is what's now happening, it's going to be big. And kudos to Chris for basically being a pioneer in the industry and taking his, you know, his trade as a sports better and taking it to the next level and, and now putting together a fund to manage other people's money. Yeah. So big, big shout out to Chris because I think it's awesome that he's ch- kind of championing this, but also that he's putting his name and his reputation on, on the line. Yeah. Especially because if you go to the site, contrarianinvestments.net, you can actually click on fund results and he actually shows you all his picks for the last couple of years and if he won or lost and if he's up or down overall for the, for the fund. And as he explained, he had a great 2016 and then end of like literally the last two days of December 2016 and then uh, the beginning of 2017, it was like a string of bad losses. And here's the biggest problem with, with betting is it takes a long time to, to get up, uh, in betting, you know, and let's say be plus 40%. But once you get down, it's really hard to get back up. And I think mm-hmm. that looking at this chart, just look at the numbers. That's what made me not want to invest is because it almost kind of reminded me of what Tony Robbins talked about, about uh, mutual fund managers, where they could have had five or 10 years of amazing track record. But then if they, you know, if they, if they don't, if they, if they bust out or they lose it, you just don't hear from them. And so the only ones you hear about are the ones that are doing amazing. That makes sense. And last week we had on the Art of FX guys again, we know just how difficult and how disciplined you have to be to win at Forex, right? They say 95% of people who do Forex, they flame, you know, they come in, they make a little bit of money, they go all in, they flame out, they, they burn out. So it takes a lot of discipline. And I think there's so much overlap in professional gaming and professional betting and investing or, you know, do, trading of any, any sorts. It really takes a game plan. It really takes strategy. And most of all, it takes discipline not to get you know, not, not to, to let emotion get a side of you and just to stick to a plan that, you know, back tested over time works. Yeah. And so for everyone kind of listening, I'm curious what you guys are going to do. Let us know in the boss lounge. And also if you know of any other alternative investment classes that have nothing to do with real estate or the stock market, I would love to hear about it because I definitely want to diversify a bit. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we got some really exciting episodes coming on in the next month. You know what I'm excited to talk about again? What, buddy? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. That's going to be next week. So guess yep. what? Johnny just bought his first $50 worth of Bitcoin. Whoa. <laughs> going all in, are you? <laughs> so I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. But I just wanted to kind of warm up my wallet just in case I, I end up wanting to invest more in the future. Because there's a bunch of regulations that are you know, kind of slamming down on these Bitcoin exchanges, making it harder to open accounts, you know, harder to to invest money into it. So figure might as well warm up the accounts now before I need it. Makes sense, buddy. All right. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to everyone who's been leaving these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on the iTunes store and everywhere else. 
And also for you guys giving us shout outs and letting us know when you are in the same city as us so we can meet up and have a drink. Big thanks again to Chen Dolje for the whiskey. And big thank you to our sponsor, FreshBooks. The next time you guys need to get your invoices collected while you're traveling overseas or you don't want to automate it and not think about it, go to freshbooks.com slash invest and make an account there. See all of you guys next week. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.